Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. First John, First John, chapter five, and just hold your scripture there in verse ten. In May 26, 2016, the Republican Party nominated Donald Trump to be their candidate for the presidency. From that time forward until now, especially up to the last election, the mainstream media, the far-left woke progressives, the Democrat politicians, and the Republican Trump haters called Donald Trump a liar and added a whole bunch of other things to that. Racist, homophobe, xenophobe, all those things, trying to marginalize any impact or effect he might have as president. You say, are you getting in politics? Just hang on, you'll find out where I'm headed. Not only did they do that from that starting point, it's some before, but it just exponentially got worse. Just got worse. There's a hatred for Donald Trump that is just incredible. This decreased some because Joe Biden is now our president and Donald Trump is no longer on Twitter and social media, so he doesn't have the exposure he had at one time, but he's still hated by the same crowd. Granted, as a child of God, I cringed at some of the things he said and some of the ways he said it, some of the attacks he did on people made me uncomfortable because it's contrary to what the Word of God says, how we're to talk about people. I got uncomfortable with it. I wrote President Trump a letter. Didn't hear from him. That's okay. I have no idea if he ever saw it. He probably didn't if the screeners got my letter. I said, your son-in-law is a Jew and he knows these verses well. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Put this one in here, and I I said, this will help you with your Twitter. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. (laughs) And then the one I think that it may not have made it the president because of this one. A fool uttereth all his mind. But a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. After what? You calm down. You cool off. Amen. So, uh, by the way, (laughs) these verses were taught to me and given to me by my mother as a child to memorize. I, I must say that the memorization was much easier than the application has been since. And uh, that being said, I believe President Trump's administration, if his, all of his policies and, and, and things he wanted to happen 
were, are fairly recorded, truthfully recorded, it will reveal that his policies were more beneficial to the nation and especially to us as the household of faith. He's probably the friendliest president to Christians that I can remember in my lifetime. President Reagan was friendly to Christians, but not, not to the extent President Trump was, which is interesting because prior to being president, what we know about President Trump, some people say he's a believer. I don't know. But his lifestyle was totally contrary to what the Word of God says. Now, let me, let me, let me say this, too. This, this, this is not in my notes. Sad to say, too many Christians started putting their hope and trust in Donald Trump. And I believe, I believe God gave this nation a window of opportunity to repent and for the household of faith to repent. When it says, if my people, not the world, not the unsaved, but if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. I don't think we did that. In fact, in the last year, we let the United States government and health officials scare us to death into quit going to church. Right, right. Yes, that's exactly right, Yes, sir. And we're seeing the consequences of it. Yes, sir. Now, when I was growing up, one of the most egregious things anyone could call you or say about you was call you a liar. Anybody, I, I was born in 1950, I'll be 71 next month. Those that are my age and my generation will understand, you could get your block knocked off if you call somebody a liar. Uh, even if it's true, <laughs> even if it's true, uh, after all these years, I still don't take kindly to being called a liar. Now, I'm way past wanting to hit somebody over it, but uh, I'm not past the I'd like to point. You know, I'm too old and too slow now. <laughs> you know, but uh, it's one thing to call someone a liar, even if it's true. But it's totally something else to call God a liar. When praying for his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said this in seven, John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. Yes, sir. We don't have anything if this is not truth. Right. right. We don't have anything. There's no reason for us to be here today if this is not true. And when he says sanctify them, set them apart, Jesus said this about himself, I am the way, the truth, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. In John 1.1 1, 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But how do we objectively know that God's Word is true and that God cannot lie? Now, I've taken something I just want to share with you. I don't know if any of you have ever heard about Answers in Genesis. Uh, it's the creation ministry up in uh, Kentucky. 
but Dr. Jason Lau writes in the Answers in Genesis magazine uh, from time to time, the Institute of Creation Research in Texas. Uh, he, he's been exposed as far as a, a, a doctor of physics, very knowledgeable. And he says this in his first chapter in the book that says, how do we know the Bible is true? Talking about the inerrancy of Scripture. He says there are invalid arguments about the inerrancy of Scripture. He says this subjective standard, a changed life, is not really good evidence that the Bible is true. You can be moral to a point apart from this. You can be. So a, a subjective standard is not a good way to argue the iner inerrancy of Scripture. Begging the question, that circular reasoning, that, that, well, I just believe because I believe it's true. Well, you remember what R Ronald Reagan said about the Democrats. It's, it's not, <clears throat> it's not that the, the Democrats are ignorant and don't know stuff. It's just they know so many things that aren't true. <laughs> And, and so, so you can believe something all you want to, but it may not be the truth. So that's not a good argument. Textual consistency and uniqueness. We know from those of you that have studied, the Bible is a unique book. Right. It is very consistent, but it does not prove the source. This, this book that I hold in my hand is a King James Version of the Bible that was translated for us, the English-speaking people. But this is not original manuscript. So we don't have that source, and because of that, you can't argue that like that, the textual consistency and uniqueness, even though I believe this is what God has authorized and preserved. We have the Word of God. Amen. External evidence. It demonstrates some of the Bible is true. Geologists have done all kinds of research, excavations, archaeologists, and have found all kinds of things that validate cities, validate history back in the Old Testament. I just got through reading the, the whole book of I started at Genesis first of the year. I just finished Joshua. But in Leviticus, it names names, it names cities, it, goes, it names the, the areas and the regions in the Middle East that archaeologists have found, okay, the Bible talked about that. But that's not a good argument, because nobody's ever found the Garden of Eden. So the skeptic may say to us, yeah, but you hadn't found that, or you hadn't proven that. We're talking about arguing for the facts of the Bible for it to be true. The predictive prophecy and divine insight. A lot of the people who are skeptics of the Word of God argue that it was written after the fact. So you're going to have a hard time convincing them. So what are the valid arguments for the inerrancy of Scripture? It's the standards of knowledge. Here's the law of logic, the law of non-contradiction. Something can't be true and false at the same time. Everybody understand what I'm saying? It is the standard by which we live. You drive down the road. If the light is red, what do you do? You stop. If it's green, you go. That's universal. 
There's all kinds of things that are, are standards of logic, the law of logic, the law of non-contradiction. What goes up must come down. We've even found that out with Chinese satellites. They will come back down. <laughs> so if you, if you look at the standards of knowledge, the law of logic, and then the foundation of science itself, the, the uniformity in nature. I'll get to something later. Precise positions of planets in the universe. We, we took our uh, grandson down to uh, Wilmington to, to see the USS North Carolina. And then we went up to Wrightsville Beach and let him get in the ocean while we sane people, old people, really white people, didn't need to get out in the sun, and uh, watched him play. Guess what happened the two hours we were there? The tide changed. It started coming in closer and closer while we were there. Guess what? They can tell you 20 years from now what date and what time that tide will roll in. Why? Because there's uniformity in the universe. There's uniformity in nature. So we have the standards of logic and the foundation of science. And here's what Jason Lyle said. We all know that in basic ways the universe will behave in the future as it has in the past. Science would be impossible without this critical principle. The Bible is the foundation for that principle. The Bible claims to be the Word of God, and it demonstrates this claim by making knowledge possible. It is the standard of standards. The proof of the Bible is that unless its truth is presupposed, we couldn't prove anything at all. What is today? What is the day of the week today? It is what? Monday. Why do we call it Monday, and why is Sunday the first day of the week? Where do we get days and weeks from the Word of God? From the Word of God. Now, I'm very personally, I'm, I'm grateful for the ministry of Answers in Genesis and ICR. Um, they're a resource from writers such as Dr. Lyle, and Ken Ham, and different ones. Um, you know, I. I taught school for eight years in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, I got to teach a lot of the truths to kids. Now, this scripture that I've asked you to look up, if you will turn to, if you haven't turned there yet, 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. It's an interesting thing. Our focus will be on verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him what? A liar. Why? Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the record. And if you do not believe this record, guess what you don't have? You don't have the witness of God in you. If you are a Bible rejecter and a Christ rejecter, you are saying God is a liar. That's my message title this morning, calling God a liar. Concerning creation, I, I'm going to skip, I'm not going to try to read all the scriptures that I have here, but you, you understand this. 
There is the authority of scriptures. In Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and He goes through the origins, day one, time, day two, the firmament, the, the atmosphere in heaven, the separation of the waters, day three, dry land, seas, vegetation, day four, sun, moon, and stars, day five, aquatic, the sea creatures and fowl, the creatures of the air, day six, land-dwelling creatures, mammals and man. And He also, in that day six, he made them man, male and female, created he them. That's the authority of the scriptures. But the assertion of the scoffers, the false teachers, is this. God didn't create anything. In fact, there's no God. It's evolution. It's evolution. I was in the fifth grade. In the fifth grade. First time I ever heard the word evolution. And now... I, our teachers were believers. Our teachers were, we had chapel every morning. Kathy, you remember that? We had, this is my wife Kathy, by the way. We're high school sweethearts. But uh, <clears throat> we had assembly every morning. And our principal or one of the teachers would read scripture we would sing a hymn. We would pledge allegiance to the flag before we ever started the classes. I remember that. Evolution. No God. No creation. Everything just happened. Well, see, if you go back to the standards of knowledge, you know that does not fit the standards of knowledge. It's a lie. Same-sex marriage. Same-sex marriage cannot fulfill the biblical mandate to be fruitful and multiply. You see two men walking down the street with a child between them, I can assure you one of them is not the daddy. It is not possible, I don't care what kind of medication you use or what kind of surgery you apply, you cannot turn a man into a woman or a woman into a man. You may give some medication that may cause some alterations in the physical body of that person, but they can never, a man can never give birth to a child. Not going to happen. And because there's children here, I will go no further. But transgenderism. Multiple genders. How absolutely insane. Based on this. I'm okay. I hope I ain't made nobody mad yet. But just hang on. I might yet before it's over. Uh, critical race theory, which is all over the news now. This is what I believe. The Bible never refers to a group of people or an ethnic group as race. Never. Here, here's, here's where this concept started. It was even before Charles Darwin. But Charles Darwin expounded on it, and this is what he taught and what he thought. That black people were not fully developed humans. That's what he taught. So if you want to know where racism came from, it came from that ideology and has 
crept into all of our educational institutions that are public and governmental and what has happened this past year with kids being on Zoom classes and parents looking over their shoulder and seeing what parents, uh, seeing what teachers are teaching their kids are like, you gotta be kidding me. We have been asleep as a church. Preachers in the pulpit have not stood and said, this is what you base it on, not what the government says. All right. Okay. Acts 17, 26. And he hath made of one blood all nations. One blood. There's no such thing as races when it comes to ethnicities or people. We have to stop using that term and in that, in that context if we're going to ever change the narrative. I, I told Brother Josh yesterday that we were at the Cracker Barrel the other day and we were sitting there out front waiting to go in and eat and it, it, his family was there and my family was there and black people, white people, we shouldn't even use black and white, they're people, okay? Some just got more melanin than others. I'm just melanin challenged. <laughs> interacting with each other, friendly to each other, gracious to each other, striking up conversations with just pure strangers. And that's, that's what's here in Lexington, South Carolina. I'm, I'm from Mount Pleasant, North Carolina. It's pretty much the same. It's just you've got a lot more sand than we do. And some kind of bug that wants to bite you all the time. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> Here's, here's the narrative of the news media. There's, there's tension and strife between the races. But if you get out here where people like us live, I don't see it. Amen? I don't see it. But, but just be careful that you don't buy into that narrative and start looking at people that look different than you as less than what God made them. A soul that needs salvation. Amen? Uh, this wisdom doesn't come from above. It is earthly, sensual, devilish, envying, or where envying and strife is. There's confusion and every evil work. And that's where we are in this country. Sure. Not just concerning creation, but calling God a liar. The, concerning Christ. Who's the scripture reveal him to be? He is the great I am of the Old Testament. He is the deliverer of Israel. He is the virgin-born Son of God. He is the sinless, sinless sacrificial Lamb. He is the risen Savior. <laughs> He's the returning and reigning King. But why do the scoffers defame Him? Why do they reject Him? Because He's a threat. He's a threat. When He walked the earth, He was a threat to the religious crowd of His day. And they hated him for it. He, his, his, the Bible says his fame went abroad. And even the political leadership in the Roman government that day heard of his fame. And they got concerned. And all kinds of orders were given to watch this following of his. You read in Scripture where thousands followed Christ. Multitudes followed him. And then they hated him because of his fellowship with publicans and sinners. 
Can I just pause right there? Aren't you glad he fellowships with publicans and sinners? And I, I, I just have to amen and say with Apostle Paul, I'm the chiefest. And he loved me anyway. Calling God a liar about conversion or salvation. What the Bible says, salvation is in Jesus. Salvation is of God. Faith comes by hearing. It's by grace through faith. And we're saved unto good works, not by them. But the unbelievers say that salvation can be earned, that the Bible is not inspired. No one can know for sure. So basically what they're saying is, the record you have given of your son, we don't believe it. They're calling God a liar. Concerning the consequences. The scripture teaches judgment and reward. For the believer, there's a place prepared. Aren't you glad Amen. that this is not all there is? Yes. There's a judgment for deeds. Judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Can I be honest with you? When the Bible says that we're going to give account for our words and our deeds before Christ, that doesn't excite me a whole lot. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Also, there is a reward for devotion. We have a reward of our inheritance in Colossians 3.24. There's a, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there, there's a thing there about wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones. And what we understand is it's about our intents and our motives of why we do things. If we make it about us, if we make it about us as believers, if we make it about us, then here is all we get in reward. What happens here? Right. Because the wood, hay, and stubble will be burned at the judgment. But what does it say about the gold, silver, and precious stones? These will remain. Amen? What you do for Christ with the right motive intent will be eternal. But the unbeliever, what, what is the consequences for the unbeliever? He gives them up. He, uh, in Romans 1, 18 through 28, God gives them up, number one, to uncleanness, to vile affections, to a reprobate mind, and their end is the lake of fire. He gives them up. What does it mean to have a reprobate mind? Because we're seeing that operated on a daily basis by people in the media, people in politics, people in education, sometimes maybe our neighbors. But what does it mean? You can't think right if God gives you up to a reprobate mind. Because some of the things we're seeing, you, you scratch your head and say, what in the world were they thinking? The problem is they're not thinking. They can't think right. That's the judgment. So, what do we do? I believe there's a call to action. I do. Our duty to God 
Ecclesiastes 12:13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You know what that means? Whatever you say, Lord, whether I like it or not, it's your word. You're in charge. It's you're the one in authority. Our duty to God. Our duty to other believers. 1 John 4.11 Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. In Galatians 6.2 Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. In, in Galatians, there's, there's interesting things there in chapter 5. It says... The, the, basically the whole sum of, of what our duty is is love your neighbor as yourself. That means you're friendly. Do you want someone to be friendly to you? Do you want someone to respect you? Do you want someone to acknowledge you when you're walking into a store? What's your, what's your um, there's an edge there. The, what is your actions toward people, and what do you want their reactions to be to you? Amen? When you go check in a motel, how do you treat the clerk if something's going wrong? If you walk into the bank and, and, and maybe things are not going right, how do you treat those persons who are serving you? And you're on the highway. How do you drive? Do you drive like you're a Christian? Or do you drive like you're a heathen? Well, he ain't passing me. <laughs> he needs to slow down if he wants to merge. I don't know what it is in South Carolina, but in the law of, in, in, in the state law in North Carolina. You're to slow down if you're on the interstate. If someone's trying to merge, you're to slow down and let them in. Yeah. Did I hear you say oops? <laughs> That's law. Why? To keep the possibility of a wreck down. Be careful that you don't get out of control in your temper. Let your temper take over. Amen? Be careful. It's dangerous to get out of control. Our duty to other believers, bear one another's burdens. There's a lady in Concord having heart surgery today. Her name is Gail Harrington. I taught her in Sunday school. I was her minister of music for years and years and years. And she calls me pastor. And I called her husband this morning, or texted her husband, just please let Gail know we're praying for her. Bearing one another's burdens. You never know, preachers, you never know. Don't ever get so busy that you don't take time to minister in the crisis times. You may have things that you need to do. You may have things that you're so busy and you feel like you can't stop. 
But if you get so busy that you can't minister to your flock in crisis times, they're not really going to care about you being there in the good times. And there are people who have left churches because the pastor made them feel like he did not care for them. Is that hard? It's the truth. Our duty to God, our duty to other believers, our duty to unbelievers. Psalm 126, 5 and 6 says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Sometimes I think we're just cowards. When we're in places we feel like we just, ah, should I say anything? Should I ask somebody to know the Lord? If they reject you, understand it's not you they're rejecting. Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Psalm 66.2 says this, Sing forth the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. Singing forth the honor of His name is easy for me to understand. The Bible tells us to sing. I love to hear you voice. Preacher, you got a you got a voice. <laughs> I, seriously, it, it's a voice of authority. We're not to be effeminate. We're to be men. But sing forth the honor of His name. We understand His name ought to be honored. We have we have read a lot about in the Scripture over the years about His name. And God's given him a name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. But how do you make his praise glorious? I think you have to tie it into Matthew 5, 16. Let your light, which you don't have a light, without him being in you. We are to be reflectors of him, of the light. And how do you do that? You have to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. You have to be sanctified. You have to have a clean life before light can emanate from it. Let your light so shine where? Before men. So whoever you're around, whoever you come in contact with, I don't care. Listen, don't ever, ever ignore the children in the church. Amen. Don't ever do that. Let the fruit of the Spirit be so heavy on the limbs of your life that it's dropping close to where they are with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Gentleness, goodness, 
faith, meekness, temperance, so that that child can come by your life and find nourishment, spiritual nourishment. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Why? That they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's how you make his praise glorious. You can't live one way on Saturday night and live another way on Sunday. We always talk about drinking and smoking and all the stuff that goes around there. How about gossiping, backbiting, evil communication? Everybody knows what goes on. Am I right? Everybody, you, how many of you preachers, you pretty much know what your people are doing during the week? When that person stands up that's been wicked during the week, and they're in the choir, or teaching a Sunday school class, or just a member of your church, and you see when their hand raised up, what do you think, hypocrite? And they don't make his praise glorious. Oh, we, we respect talent. In fact, sometimes we worship it, sad to say. But going back to 1 John 5.10, if you don't believe this book and how it tells us to live, you're calling God a liar. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.